to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. Next week, 24th of July, is going to be International Self-Care Day. Yay, by the way. So we're going to talk about in this uh, episode on rethinking resilience, so the role of culture in withstanding stress in the workplace. Okay, so why employee resilience could be the future of work. That's why it's important. So workplace resilience refers to an individual's ability to adapt to change, to recover from setback, and to embrace challenges. It encompasses handling difficult situations without excessive stress and receiving criticism constructively. It also, the benefit of employee resilience is that building employee resilience will yield advantages for both individuals and the business. It enhances relationships, confidence, communication skills, stress management, and the ability to overcome obstacles. Now, given that 33% of employees report high stress levels in 2022, fostering resilience will become crucial or crucial in the future of work. But what happened when the ability to adapt, to recover, takes longer? Or the challenges are still ongoing, right? So your workplace culture has impact on the stress management and the resilient building of your people. Your people are working hard enough. The idea, and you must convince them or you must assure them of that, that they are working hard. You don't believe that they're not. What we're expecting them to do is work even harder. A lot of people are overworked, so productivity will suffer as a result of that. The NHS is stressed, so people are not necessarily receiving treatment for mental health problems and burnout symptoms, so the problem will linger. Your people are attempting to build resilience without support or treatment. It's exhausting for many, causing the astonishing high percentage of 72% of employees who are not engaged in Europe, according to the Gallup State of uh, Global Workplace Report 2023, in last month actually came out. So burnout is not about your people. It's about your workplace. Okay, so here's a useful analogy. Um, and a quote from a renowned expert in burnout, Professor Christina Marklach. She is the social psychologist and the creator of the Marklach Burnout Inventory. Um, this is the leading measure of burnout, incorporating extensive research being conducted over 25 years since the initial time that it, publica- it publicized. At Aurora, we use a version of this with our clients, so really good. So here's the analogy that she used. She said, picture a canary in a coal mine. Can we see the yellow canary? Yes, I can. Healthy bird singing away as they make their way through the cave. But when they come out of the cave, they're full of soot, disease, they're no longer singing, they're clearly no longer yellow. Can you imagine us asking the canaries, why, you know, what made them sick? Why are you not still singing? No, because the answer is the obvious. The coal mine is the one making the birds sick. So can you imagine us asking why the canaries are not resilient enough or comparing them to chickens or turkey? In other words, you know, they could have done more if they just taken more yoga or, in this case, extra flying lessons, you know, that kind of stuff. So in today's fast-paced and demanding work environment, resilience has become a crucial attribute for employees and organizations. 
So while individual factor play a significant role, the influence of workplace culture on resilience cannot be overlooked. So this podcast episode is going to explore the importance of culture in building resilience, providing five key areas that you, HR leader, can look into in strengthening your organization, especially if your headcount is under a thousand employees. I really struggle. I have a love-hate relationship with that R word, resilience, because of how it has been used as a stick to beat people over the head with for not doing even more, right? But the truth is, resilience is an essential strength or skill that we need to, as adults, as children, we need to develop in order to just withstand the blows that life is going to throw at us. So I know resilience is necessary, but what I object to and I feel so strongly against is um, people blaming the canary when they should be looking at the cave. And that is why culture counts. Culture addresses the cave. So you have to make sure that the supportive culture that you have created is a a 360 24 7, 365 days affair in your organization. It needs to be a positive place um, where employees feel like they are valued and supported, where they have that da, 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 psychological safety so that they can bounce back when they experience setbacks and stress, where they are not afraid to fail or speak up if they need help or are struggling. How do HR do this? Well, you can't do it on your own. The first point that you need to think about when you are trying to create a culture that that encourages resilience in your employees is about fostering a supportive culture that positively influences employee resilience. So, If you have a positive and supportive workplace culture where employees feel valued, supported, and psychologically safe, that key word again, you know that they're more likely to be able to bounce back from stress and setbacks. So how do you do this? Not on your own. You can't just expect All the people, people, so HR and DEI, you guys can figure it out all on your own. No, this is something that the whole of your senior leadership team is responsible for driving, for demonstrating, for deciding what exactly it's going to look like in your organization. And although you in HR are responsible for setting the tone for how your people management strategy can make the best of your employee resources, you're not the only ones who are responsible for modeling that supportive culture. And you also need to make sure that you have the support of all the leadership team. So an example is one law firm that we've been working with, um, feels like for years, but has only been less than a year. 
and we have taken them through our transformational leadership program um, for lawyers. And this is something that, yes, the head of people brought in, but she did so with the full support of all the equity partners. And she worked so closely with the managing partner of that firm. And the rest of the heads of and the equity partners to change the culture within the firm, to make it as inclusive, as supportive, as positive, and as aware of the importance of mental health, well-being, and all that stuff as possible. Yeah, I think what the equity thing I wanted to say is obviously you have said it, but I'm going to reiterate that. Creating a culture in an organization is senior leaders' responsibility. But one or two people must drive it. So in this case, that's why we're talking about people who have in companies where you have under a thousand. Because in terms of HR or head of people, you probably have one head of people with a couple of um, support and you have you are directly reporting to the CEO or um, in the case of the law firm, managing partner. It just means that you as HR lead have to be the one to talk. It's your skill set. It's your organizational behavior. That, that's the kind of thing that you're there for. Therefore, it must be driven by you, but it cannot be only you who does that. But you have to be able to get all these other senior leaders, in this case, of this law firm, equity partners and managing partner, on board for it to be successful. And once they're bought in, then they're bought in, but they need to understand it, and I think that's helpful. That's what I wanted to just add to that part. Mm. Whenever um, I am having a discovery call with an HR um, D or HRM who's looking to develop some kind of either strategy or mental health program or leadership development program, I always ask whether or not the senior leadership team are on board with it. Because if they're not, you need to go back and make sure that they understand why you're doing this, why it matters to them, and what impact is going to have so that they can give it their full support, both moral and financial. So that's point one. Point two is about communication, right? We need to be encouraging open communication, but only if we have created an environment in which it's safe to do so. Again, that psychological safety. Effective communication channels within an organization facilitate resilience building because it allows us to, uh, as I said before, put your hand up, ask for help, ask for support, get feedback, understand what other people are doing, what strategies they're employing to get through whatever struggles, um, identify new uh, solutions to problems that you're uh, grappling with, all that good stuff. And transparent communications helps employees become uh, more flexible and build adaptive coping mechanisms, but not if they don't feel safe enough to ask the questions in the first place, not if they're worried about admitting mistakes, confusion or, or uncertainty because it will have an impact on their career progression. So, a lot of people think that they've got, oh, good communication in their workplace. But do you really? And if you if you do, how do you know you do? Yeah. 
I, I think one example of this, well, I, I don't even know if I, I'm going to, I'm going to make it relevant at the moment, but we were in yet another round table, um, this was in person, and we were talking about creating cultures within teams and having people connect with each other and feel safe around each other. And one of the um, organisations represented that was there shared how, because they work, people working from home mostly in hybrid and stuff, not able to get together, so therefore it's hard to create psychological safety when people aren't together all the time um, because there's no way to be able to read um, roles. You know how it is, you don't know, and you need people to be close to be able to know what their role is and whether somebody is comfortable in the room or not comfortable, you have to know them enough to be able to know that. But one of the examples that they gave is they run, once a month they have this in-person meetup. Um, at different branches of their organization. So you can different locations, basically. So if you work in the Manchester office, you don't have to go to the Manchester meetup. You can go to the one in London, for example, just so that you can get connected. And the whole purpose of it is so that people can get connected with each other and stuff. That's part of communicating. Um, and I quite like that because it means that you start to foster friendship. People start to feel safe in understanding where someone is coming from, their background, the kind of thing that helps to create that. So that in a team, it's easier to maintain that um, in that way, I think. I think that's what, I don't know, for that reason, that's what came up in my mind just now when we were talking about communicating in a psychological safety way. We talk about that in a team, but we never talk about it in when we meet up and the content of that conversation and how that also helps to foster a psychological safe space. Mm. so point number three is on work-life balance because there is no shame in admitting that you're an organization that cares about its employees and wants its employees to have a full complete happy life so create a culture that supports work-life balance that facilitates that it's essential for building resilience Um, If employees have the opportunity to manage their personal as well as their professional responsibilities, then they can cope better with the stress that they experience day to day and maintain their well-being. They'll be strong enough. Um, So invest in decent employee assistance programs that can actually support what your people need. And don't just get another well-being app that you know they're not going to use or that will not provide the kind of help that they need. Now, a lot of you are going to say, oh, we've got an EAP. It's really good. When was the last time you used it? Mm. When was the last time you checked how long it takes to get support? How long is the support available for? Is it face-to-face? Is it online? That's the kind of stuff you need to know. Test your EAP. Call them. Ask them. Use them before you can rest easy knowing that your employees are covered, right? So number four is about training and development opportunities. We know we've got to invest in L&D for our employees because it it helps to enhance their skills and knowledge. But do you use that L&D program to develop resilience, Mm -hmm. offering opportunities to help employees continuously learn and grow as uh, not just on the on the job or the job related um, tasks like how to master Excel, presentation skills and all of that. Those, those are important too. 
but things about how you manage the work-life blend, how you can manage the challenges associated with working from home or hybrid working, what tools and things they can use to adapt to the changing demands and challenges of today's workplace. Do you offer those kind of training opportunities? And if not, you should. I think I've got another example of this one, actually, because when we're talking about training and development, we're not necessarily talking about, well, yeah, it could be courses or whatever technical support that you've got. But when um, employees don't have access to training or have the right training for certain aspects, it adds it add to their stress. So mm. I suppose it's in a way is saying to build resilience, they need to be comfortable in the in the role, they need to be comfortable in the uh, the task that they're doing. And I remember one time, I was obviously I've mentioned it before, but a clinical lead um, in the work that I did in drug and alcohol um, sort of world, right? And I had staff having to do safeguarding stuff for, for adults, safeguarding stuff for children, all kinds of things that come up that quite um, can build anxiety in them. And I had a, a member of staff who somehow lost confidence. He'd been away, I think, for a bit come back um, and there was this assumption that because he'd been in it before, he'd just flop back in. He'd remember what to do, all of that stuff. But we noticed that he started to second guess his own skills. So he would come and ask, even though he'd done it, he would come and ask for permission to, for, to almost check his work. So it became a thing. Could you just check this, Hobie? Could you just check? And then, then you realize, wait a minute, why am I checking? Why? And he goes, oh, no, because we don't make any mistakes. And then that's because he had... The lack of confidence, had, I didn't expect him to have it. He happened to have it. He had no reason not to be confident, but he did. Therefore, we needed to support him in relearning, okay, finding new tools and new strategies that we have developed while he was away um, for him to be able to work out, okay, I can trust my own judgment with it. Those kind of things are examples of resilience in the workplace, not necessarily emotional, but even just being able to believe in the work that you're doing and the confidence in actually doing the day-to-day mm. job. Yep. That's the point, that, that part I wanted to make, actually. And your fifth point, your five a day for shaping your culture to help your employees withstand stress and build resilience is leadership. How are you role modeling resilience in your workplace? And not just you, but all of your people managers your leadership team. It's such an important role that you guys play in shaping your workplace culture and fostering resilience. Leaders who exhibit resilience, authenticity, and emotional intelligence will inspire their teams to do the same. So how are you and your managers able to role model that resilience, your access to training, being willing to tap into your emotional intelligence, being willing to adapt your workplace behaviours in order to um, accommodate new challenges and uh, new levels of stress, for instance. That's important. And being open about that with your teams and, and, and sharing what you are going through in a carefully guarded way They don't need to know all the details because they are looking to you for leadership. But in a way that says, you know, I know I'm not immune to stress myself. And this is how I am proactively taking care of my stress. But also making sure that you are proactively taking care of your stress. Who do you go to 
for support. That counts. So, do you want to wrap up, Obi? Yeah, so we started up talking about the thing, rethinking resilience. How can we think differently about it? Um, we talk about the fact that your people are working hard. We know that. They know that. We don't want to add to their stress, but we need to be able to support them to be able to rebuild resilient in a way that's actually sustainable. So we talk about fostering a supportive culture, positively influenced um, employee resilience. So that's one thing. So we think we just need to care. Your employee, your senior leaders must care. And you, HR, can make sure you involve your senior leader, CEO, managing partner, whoever they are in that journey because you can't do it yourself. And then we talk about encouraging open communication. And this is, again, wrapped in psychological safety. How do you have conversations with people that is safe so that people feel safe to do so without feeling that they might be penalized for something or it would affect their their, um, progress within the organization? Then we talk about promoting work-life balance, making sure that's important, that part of the culture that you feel, that you have, you roll out, that they know is important to balance those two, that it's important for them to be well, that only if they're well would they build resilience to be able to shock absorb any crisis that comes through, any difficulty that might come in the future. The fourth point, we always talk about providing some sort of training or development opportunity for people, and that might be bespoke based on what they are actually currently lacking in or feeling less confident in. It doesn't have to be one of those, like I was saying, oh, we'd have done that training before, they may need to train again. And that would be totally okay if they if people need that. So being open to offer opportunity for people to do that. And then finally, leadership and role modeling. Your leaders play a super important role in leading from the front, leading the pack. They have to show that they care about their own mental health, their own well-being, their own balance in their life and being able to communicate that to this team could a day take almost giving permission to also do the same as well so that's it that's your five a day for today and like two very yellow canaries in a very clean coal mine we are going to fly away so we will speak to you rebels very soon bye bye Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show notes, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.